Today we come to the final words of Jesus' sermon on the plain. We have been walking through this sermon for weeks now as one family. We have been listening to Jesus teach. We have been listening to the words that he has spoken to us. We have been listening to him teach and we have been hearing not only the words but something else behind it. If we listen carefully, we'll hear the words behind the teaching. We'll hear the words, will you follow him? Will you follow him? As I have been studying, as I have been poring over these texts, over these words that Christ has spoken, I have been hearing these words. Will we follow him? Jesus begins this morning asking a direct question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? That's the big question. That's the question that we all wrestle with. Why do we call Jesus Lord, Lord, and then not do what he says? It's a hard one. And if we're honest, we all struggle with that. So we'll take a moment and we'll speak honestly with each other. I think we wrestle with this question. I think we call Jesus Lord, Lord, but do not do what he says because we are selfish people. Not you, me. I mean me. I'm None of you guys, of course. No. Honestly, we are still selfish people. It's hard. We are born this way. We are born this way. I think of my sons. <laughs> I think of Corbin and how much we've worked with him to be generous and to be kind and to share. We keep going over and over again, teaching and looking for opportunities to say, can you share? And now that he has a little brother, we say, can you share with your little brother? And he's doing better. He's getting better at it. He's sharing. But you know what came really easy for him? Mine. We didn't teach him once, and boy, he knows that. Mine. We are born this way. I think of even my son, even Shalem, not even a week old yet. Well, actually, just a little over a week old. He, he still wakes up throughout the night. And I would bet you money that not once does he think to himself, you know, mom's pretty tired. I know, I know I'm hungry, but I'm just going to wait because she's so tired. It doesn't even cross his mind. We are born selfish. It's in us. But also, too, as we get older, our selfishness kind of grows. And we want these blessings of Christ. We want all the blessing, but none of the sacrifice. We want Christ to heal our bodies, to change our lives. We want Him to redeem us, to save us from our sin. We want the victory over evil. We want life everlasting with Him. But then we want to go on about our lives. We want to go on about our merry way. We want the blessing but not the sacrifice. That's why we struggle with this. That's why we say, Lord, Lord, and still do not do what he says. But I think also, fundamentally, it's a question of lordship. Who is our Lord? We wrestle with this question. Because we profess to believe that Jesus is Lord. 
And sometimes that doesn't match what we really believe. See, that's the thing. There's what we profess to believe, and then there's what we really believe. Now, I know most of you here, most of you here would profess that Jesus is Lord. You would say that I believe that. But I know even in my own life, there are times when I believe something more. When I believe that I need to have more money. Or I believe that if I can just get a few more toys, then then that'll make the difference. I know the truth. I know that Jesus is Lord, but sometimes I believe other things above that. And we will always live out our beliefs. We never, we always live out what we believe. We never wrestle with that. It's just a matter of what do we really believe. Because sometimes we believe that we know better than Jesus. Jesus says, be generous. Be ridiculously generous. And we think, you know, Jesus, I think it will actually be smarter if, if I'm not quite that generous. If maybe I'm kind of keep things more for myself. We think that we know better. Or sometimes we think maybe Jesus doesn't understand. Jesus, you don't understand what my life is like. You don't understand how hard it is for me. Maybe that's why we struggle. We think we know better. You see, lordship is about obedience. It's about that nasty little four-letter word, obey. That word that we hate in our culture. We are taught to hate that. Obey? No, we are free. We are individuals. Those are our prized values. No one wants to obey. We don't even like to use the word obey or obedience. That's why we struggle with lordship. We don't like obey. And we struggle with Jesus' lordship because we have to continue to redevote our lives to him. Each morning, each day, taking up our cross. Jesus says, if you will follow me, whoever, must, whoever would like to follow me must de- deny themselves and take up their cross daily. The word in Greek means continually. Over and over and over again, taking up our cross. Hoisting that cross up again each moment. Constantly redevoting ourselves to Christ. To following Him. That's Lordship. That's Lordship. So Jesus asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? It's because we are still selfish people. We wrestle with this. And because we wrestle with this question of Lord, who is our Lord? But Jesus said, He said, if you are hearing what I say, and if you do it, then you will stand the catastrophe. You will endure the things of life. Your life will be different. Your life will be good. It won't be easy. He never once said that it was going to be easy. But He will make you holy. And that is good. So listen to these words that Jesus has been teaching us over these last few weeks. Love those who hate you. Love your enemies. Do good things for those who are mistreating you right now. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who want bad things for you. Love the people that you would love to hate. Love the people that our world tells us to hate. There are people that our culture tells us to hate. We must resist. We must love them instead. For their sake and for our sake. Love those who hate you. And resist violence with love. If someone hits you on one side of the face, convict them of their shame by turning the other. If someone steals your jacket from you, convict them of their shame by making sure they have everything they need. Resist violence with love and peace. And be generous. Be generous. Be surprisingly generous. Be generous with your time. I think that's probably the biggest thing for us. Most of us are so busy. <laughs> I'm actually convicted here myself. I'm so busy that I'm not generous with my time. When people need our help, be generous in helping them. If they need help with resources, help them generously. If they need our stuff, lend it to them. Let them use it generously. Be generous with people. So generous that it will confuse them. Be so generous with people that they will be confused. That they will ask, why are you like this? Be so generous that we as a church will become famous in this community for being generous. Not because we go around tooting our horn or telling everybody about it, but that because of our generosity, people know us. Regardless of how discreet we try to be, regardless of how quiet we are about it, because we are so generous that we become famous. Be surprisingly generous. And we do this by modeling our life on God. Be kind to evildoers, to people who are ungrateful, because God has been kind to us this way. And trust me, we are no picnic. Be compassionate, just as your Father in heaven is compassionate. Be merciful, because God has been merciful with us. And do not condemn. Do not condemn people. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Be gracious to people, especially the people that you don't like. Be gracious with them. Don't judge them. Don't hold a grudge, but be gracious. Be merciful. Lavish mercy on them. And God will lavish mercy on us. A good measure. Pressed down and shaken together. And then dumped, overflowing into our lap. Be merciful because God has been merciful with us. And when we are tempted to criticize, when we are tempted to judge people, start with ourselves. When we're getting ready to point the speck out in someone's eye, take a moment to examine the laminated beam in our own eye. 
When we are tempted to start judging people, begin with ourselves. Examine ourselves first before we run off judging others. If we will live like this, if we will live out these words, life will be different. Life will be good. We will become new people and God's kingdom will expand through us. It won't be easy. God never said it would be easy. In fact, He said it will take sacrifice. But we will become holy. And that is good. And Jesus said, those who hear Him but do not do what He says, they will not endure the catastrophe. They will not endure it. They will not withstand it. The floods will come and their house will be destroyed. Their lives will be destroyed. And we realize in this moment that the gospel is at the same time good news and good warning. And we dare not round off its sharp edges. We dare not smooth them over to make it easier for people. The gospel is good news and good warning. Jesus' words, they cut both ways. Jesus began this sermon. He said, blessed are the poor. Woe to the rich. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Woe to you who have eaten more than your share. Blessed are you who weep. Woe to you who are laughing arrogantly. Blessed are you when people hate you because of righteousness, for the sake of Christ. Woe to you when this world speaks well of you. Consider the source. Throughout the Gospel, we find that Jesus' word sets, two, sets the world in two. Jesus cleaves this world in two. Those who believe into Him and those who refuse to believe in Him. Even Simeon, when he held the child Jesus, he said, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many people in Israel. He's to be a sign that is spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. Jesus has set this world apart. He has come and He has cleaved this world in two. But I dare not say that. I dare not say that Jesus comes and He separates the world between those who believe and those who refuse to believe. I dare not say that. I dare not say that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it penetrates and divides even the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, that it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I dare not say that. I dare not say that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life that He comes bringing good news and good warning. I dare not say that. Because those are definitive words in a relative era. Those are the words of truth in an age of denial. I would hate to ruffle feathers. I would hate to criticize the idols of our culture. I would hate to burst our cozy bubbles. I would hate to challenge the idea that our, that our culture holds so valuably true that, that all truth 
is viable, that everyone's belief, as long as they really, really believe it, then it's valid. I'd hate to challenge that. I'd hate to challenge that. I'd hate to challenge our idea of our culture that there's no such thing as truth. I'd hate to challenge that. I don't have the guts to do that. I don't have the guts to say those sort of things. But I do have the guts to say this. To speak the words that Jesus spoke. Those who hear his words and do them, they are the same, or excuse me, those who, who hear his words and do not do them, they are the same as the person, as the man who builds his house on the sand with no foundation at all. When the flood comes, the river will beat against his house and will destroy it immediately, and his destruction will be complete. Jesus speaks these words. At the same time, the gospel is both good news and good warning. And we dare not rub off, smooth over its, its sharp edges. Now, if you are new here, if you are new to faith, or if you are still seeking faith, then you have been dumped into the deep end. This is the deep water of faith. And it's hard because Jesus confronts our assumptions. Jesus confronts the assumptions of our age. That's exactly why we need to listen. We need to question the assumptions of our, country, of our culture. We need to continually ask, is this the truth? You see, sometimes people hear Jesus and they hear that he is the only way, the only truth and the only life. And they say, you know, for as, as wise as Jesus is, I just can't follow that. It's too exclusive. It doesn't seem fair. What is fair? I think about it as I ask people. I bet you if you asked a hundred people, what is fair? You'd get a hundred slightly different answers. But they'd all be basically this. It'd be people's opinion of what is fair to me. Because we've taken apart the idea of fair, all we have left, left is everybody's individual idea of fair. What's fair to me? So in Canada, we don't have fair anymore. We have 30 million versions of what's fair to me. And are we really the ones set to be deciding what's fair or not? We as people, the things we wrestle with, our pride, our anger, our greed, our selfishness, our lust, our betrayal. Are we really the ones who should be deciding what's fair? I would say that fair must come from somewhere else. Fair must come from God. From the one who created all things. That is the source of fair. That is the only good source of what is fair. We must challenge the assumptions, the, the unquestioned ideas of our culture. We must question them. But even before that, even before that, we must start with the gospel. Before you let our culture question 
all of our beliefs start with a gospel. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth lived? We have Romans and Jewish and Christian writers around the same time who all say that, yes, Jesus of Nazareth lived. We have Romans and Jewish and Christian writers who all say that Jesus of Nazareth, that he was crucified on a cross. Then we have, we have Christian writers who say, who were dying to, to confess, to profess that Jesus rose again. The question is, is he the son of God? If we can believe all these things, then the question is, is he the son of God? Because if we will say that Jesus is the Son of God, then everything else changes. Our question is no longer, do I like what he says? Does it fit with my lifestyle and what I think would work for me? We don't ask that question anymore. If Jesus is Lord, then the question we ask is, will I follow him? It changes everything. Will I follow him? It is a dangerous thing to reject the truth just because we don't like the way it sounds. It sounds a lot like denial. This is the truth. For those of you who are new in faith or who are still seeking, this is the deep end. Please keep asking these questions. Did Jesus of Nazareth live? Was Jesus of Nazareth crucified on a cross? Did Jesus of Nazareth rise again? Is he the Son of God? Answer those questions. Before everything else, answer those questions. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that we need Jesus in our lives. Amen. We need Christ in our lives. We need Him desperately. We need Christ in our lives. And we need to live out what He's taught us. And I've been saying it for weeks now. If we're going to try and do this on our willpower, we're going to fail. If we're going to try and buckle down and do these things that Jesus has taught, we're going to fail. Or worse, we'll end up just going through the motions. And we'll confuse going through the motions with a true faith in Christ. What we need is a transformed heart. We need our heart to be renewed. It's about transformation. That's why Christ said these words. He said, out of the abundance of your heart speaks your mouth. That's why in Proverbs we hear, guard your heart or keep your heart with all vigilance for it is the wellspring of your life. Out of our heart flows our life. We need transformation. We need a transformed heart. We need to dig down and then dig a bit deeper and set the foundation on rock. We need to set the foundation on Christ. We need Jesus desperately in our lives.
We must base our lives on Him. And we do that the same way that Christians have always done that. Hopefully you've heard this a few times these last few weeks. We do this by studying God's Word. Hopefully you've heard that. That we do this by studying God's Word. Studying His Word, reading it over and over. Spending time on a passage, chewing on it. Letting it sink in until it becomes who we are. I was thinking about it. Oftentimes, we, the way most of people are... The way we often read scripture reminds me of how some reminds me of trying to eat saltine crackers or soda crackers. We just blaze through it. We take a handful and we stuff them all in our mouth. We try to chew that and they're dry and they suck the saliva out of your mouth and they taste horrible. It's different if you'll take one at a time. If you'll chew on one word at a time and chew it for a while pretty soon your saliva begins to break down the starches and they become sugar. Saltine crackers begin to taste pretty good. They go down easy. Spend time with God's Word. Because we are reading, we're not reading for information, we're reading for transformation. We're not reading to fill our heads, we're reading to change our heart. Spend time reading God's Word. Pour over it. Reflect on it. Meditate on it. Read it over and over. It will help us grow in faith. And we will grow in faith by prayer. By the whole array of prayer. If you want to know how to pray, read the Psalms. Everything is is covered there. We read as as David and other psalmists as they pray. They pray prayers of adoration. Praising God for who He is and what He's done. They pray prayers of confession. Lord God, please forgive me. Search my heart and all that is within me. Show me the ways that I have departed from You. Show me the ways that I have sinned against You and others. We must pray more confession. And pray thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for what you have done. Thank you for the ways you have provided. Family, friends, people who love us. And we pray supplication. We pray a petition. God, please help. God, please come to our aid. As I listen to people pray, I realize that that's where most of us pray. Most of us pray petition. And it's good to pray petition. God wants to hear us pray for the help of, for his help for other people, for ourselves. God wants to hear that. But if we only pray petition, we are missing something. I think we pray petition because it's easier. It's easier to say, God, please help someone else. God, please help my friend with their marriage. It is a dangerous thing altogether to say, God, please forgive me for the ways that I have mistreated my wife. I'm saying if we want to grow in faith, we must pray more confession. And we also must pray more in listening. Our world is filled with words. There are words everywhere. Instant messaging, email, telephones, TVs, radios. Words everywhere. 
And so we come to prayer and we do all the talking. We will grow. We need to listen in prayer. We will grow if we will listen. If we will come to God and we will say, Lord, help me to see where you are leading me. We will grow. Pray. Prayer will lead us closer to Christ. Praying the whole gamut. Adoring God. Confessing. Giving thanks. Praying petition. And listening. And we will draw closer to Christ if we will spend time with faithful friends. And by faithful, I mean friends who are faithful to us, but more than that, friends who are faithful to Christ. We will round off our sharp edges. We will encourage each other in faith. And we will challenge each other when we are off, because we need that. The Covenant Church remains or continues to be a church shaped by pietism. It says it in our affirmation on page 5. The pietists were, were Christians in the 17th century who wanted more out of their faith than just a, a dissertation every Sunday morning. The pietists emphasized personal faith in Christ, a personal relationship with Him. They emphasized sanctification by the Holy Spirit, which is a big, long way of saying they emphasized this Holy Spirit growing us in faith. And they, they were concerned about serving the world. They wanted to live these things out. They wanted faith that came from the heart, not just something that was in their head. They wanted the balance between right doctrine and right living. They knew that they must, not only did they need information for their minds, they needed transformation for their heart. And so they started meeting in colleges of piety, <laughs> which is a crazy long way of saying they met in small groups. They met together throughout the week to discuss the sermon, to read God's word together, to encourage each other, to talk about life and the ways they saw God working in it. If our faith is only based on Sunday morning, we're missing so much. Faith is about the other six days. It's about the time that we spend studying God's word, the time we spend praying, the time we spend together with faithful friends. If you're not in a small group right now, why not? Ask yourself, why not? If you're not meeting with faithful friends, ask yourself, why not? This is rich soil for us to grow in faith. It's so important. This morning, I hear the Spirit speaking. I hear the Word of God again through the text. In past weeks, I've heard it as a whisper. Will you follow Him? This morning, I hear it loud and direct. Will you follow Him? Jesus has been teaching us for weeks now on what it means to follow Him. And now He comes down to the question, will you follow Him? Abandon your house on the sand. Stop trying to prop it up. Stop trying to hold it all together and make it work. Abandon it. 
Walk away from it and build a new foundation. Continue working on your foundation on rock. Base your life on this rock. Base your life on Christ. Follow Him. Follow Him. Amen.